We worship the Lord Jesus. His name is above all names. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Yes. Um, it's a wonderful day to be with you all. We are enjoying the sunshine. God's blessing in that. Uh, we're enjoying the season. God's blessing in that. We're also, for some of us who suffer with allergies, are enjoying the pollen. <clears throat> so if my voice sounds disturbed, if I need to, uh, I'm, that's what I'm dealing with, folks. So don't, don't be concerned. It's not a big deal. It's just part of this time of year uh, for many of us. And I, I can look at some of you and I know, yeah, you're going, I know, I know. So uh, yesterday we were uh, coming back home from a visit with some friends. And these days, if you're on the road and you see a Costco gas and you're a Costco member, what do you do? You pull over and get in line, right? Some of the best prices around. And uh, of course, the, the next challenge is when you drive in, you pull in, uh, you need to pick the right line. <laughs> yeah, well, for some reason, I never seem to do that. Is it just me? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, it's, you know, so yesterday, here we are, and we're waiting. And we're waiting, and I'm going, you know, I, I'm, I'm pulling in. And by the way, I, uh, if you know Paul Delancey here, Paul Delancey has a great theory on lines. And Paul, I didn't listen to you this time, sorry. Paul's thing is go to the left. No one ever goes to the left. Just go to the left. So Paul, I didn't go to the left. Because it looks shorter. So I went to the right. And I pull in, and Janet is just looking at me like, dude, you did it again. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, yeah, love, I know. I, I have not, it's because I'm in the line. I'm sorry. I've never figured out how to be in the line and not be in the line. I, I'm working on it. You know, that proverbial, wherever you go, that's where you are. And I get you every time, right? So here I am. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. And then the dreaded moment of the Costco employee coming out with the yellow vest. You know, that's bad, right? You're going, oh, there's something wrong. So then that person's working with stuff. And then it starts moving again. You're like, yes. So we're moving. And we're moving. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, we're not moving. I'm like, Janet, what is going on? Because she's on the other side. And she, can go, she looks and she goes, oh, uh, it's, a, it's a dad showing his daughter how to fill up the car with gas. And I'm like, okay, now I'm irritated that I'm irritated, okay, right? How can I be irritated about that? Meanwhile, the lines are passing by, passing by. We're feeling stuck. I'm feeling stuck. And, and I'm not sure if this really happened or not. It might have just been my state of mind, but I'm pretty sure that the, the white SUV on the right of us, as it went by with kiddos in the back, that the kid was looking at me just going... <laughs> it, it, it just kind of felt that way, you know? See ya! And of course, I'm sitting there the whole time, and, and what's the thought that hits my brain? If only I had picked another line. And, and this happens various times in various ways in our lives, doesn't it? If only. Uh, sometimes it's those day-to-day kind of circumstances, but can also happen in more significant ways. Um, do you ever feel like, if I could only change my circumstances, everything would be great? Sometimes we'll grumble about it. You know, we'll kind of groan about it. So, sometimes we might even spiritualize it. You know, if only I could change this, fill in the blank, then I could really effectively serve God. And, and if we're honest, we, we need to say, you know, we wrestle with this a lot. Um, we might want to pretend like that never crosses our minds, but let's face it, I mean, we, we say things. There are, there are married people that sometimes they think, oh man, to be single and to live the carefree life again. And then there are singles who at times will say, oh, to have that soulmate come into my life 
It happens in our workplaces, and you're going, oh, this job stinks. If I only had a different company or a different team or a different boss or office, then I would be content. And so all of us do this to varying degrees. You know, if only I had new friends, a new neighborhood, new school, new city, a different house, car, career path, and on and on and on the list goes. And this is exactly the problem that was faced by the first century believers in Corinth. And Paul takes it head on as he calls them to contentment and stability. And, and, and he outlines the reality that, that that kind of contentment and stability only comes as someone comes to know and walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. So go ahead and, and open, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 and 24. And by the way, I apologize in your bulletin. There's a different title and, and scripture heading, so we'll, we'll have that next week. So, but we're actually in a different place uh, and, uh, and so it's 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 and 24. And, and for those times that we would say, if only I could change my circumstances, everything would be great. Or, or actually, what's needed is an internal, uh, what we need to see is instead, there's an internal change necessary. It's not going to be the outside. It's going to be the change of our hearts. It's going to be an internal change that God works through his spirit and his word rather than simply changing our surroundings. So in honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, we would ask that in these moments we spend together, that your spirit would work in such a way that from the inside we were changed by you. Perhaps we've been in in that place of of looking toward external circumstances to change or shift in order to, quote unquote, make things right with our lives. When in fact, when we see what we're taught here, as your spirit has written through the Apostle Paul we find that we have everything actually in reverse. Uh, We ask that you'd help us to see things from your vantage point and that we would live in a different way through this season, through this time, even as we leave this place later, that we would have an impact on our neighbors and family and friends and coworkers, that we would live before you in a way that's so different because we live lives of contentedness. Contentedness in Jesus. And so we bring this to you now. We ask that you would do these things within us for your glory. In the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So in this passage, we find an immensely important principle 
And it's really the theme here, and that's this. God reigns sovereign in his assignments. God reigns sovereign in his assignments. And so because of that, we need to learn three things, really. We need to learn to recognize, remain, and walk. We've got to recognize, remain, and walk. And we'll be talking about that together as we, as we continue. Um, but, but the first thing we would see is because God reigns sovereign in his assignments, we need to recognize something. And what do we have to recognize? We need to recognize his wisdom. We find that in verse 17. It's an amazing phrase. You know, Paul has just talked about the situation of, of uh, uh, someone being married to an unbeliever and the challenges that go with that, the difficulty of that. And he goes on to say, hey, remain. Don't, don't just leave. Um, now, if the unbelieving partner leaves, okay, then you're not under obligation as a believer at that point. But, but don't let it be you that pulls yourself from that situation. Why? Because you could have an impact. There could be a transformation that comes about in the life of, of your spouse. And so he's just talked about that, and now he comes into this section of, of taking that principle farther and says, hey, verse 17, he says, notice, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. You got those two terms, assigned and called, and you kind of think, well, what's, is, are those two terms just sort of synonymous, or, or is there something else happening here? Is there, is there actually a, a difference between those two terms? And it is interesting, because the word appointed there has this idea of, of apportioning or distributing something. Paul will use that later when he describes the spiritual gifts that God's given his people. God apportions, or God gives specific gifts to specific people. Uh, and yet here, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the circumstances of daily life. He's talking about our, the way we live each and every day. And he's saying that, that there's a way in which God has apportioned or separated into parts and distributed the circumstances that we're in, each of us. It's deliberate. It's not an accident. It's not random. And that's a stunning thing to consider. And then he goes on to also say, he's also called you to this. Again, another idea whereby he's saying to us, if uh, I have this place, this season, this, this kind of arena of, of, of work, ministry, and influence for you to have, and I'm calling you to it. And I don't know if we always see things that way. But, but in Paul's view, every station in life is under God's sovereign direction and control. He's assigned it to us. He's called us to it. And because of that, when we're in that mode of, of kind of going, oh man, if only I had blank, or if only this was different, what are we saying to God's assignment and call? Well, essentially we're saying, God, you didn't do a very good job. God, you, 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 you're, you're, I know you're sovereign and you know you're wise, but you kind of messed up on this thing. And, and we need to understand that's just not understanding not only what God's done, but who he is. If he's the wise, sovereign master over all things, if his character is that which uh, exudes grace, love, compassion, wisdom, justice, and all the things that we see in the Bible, then certainly as the creator and sovereign over all things, we can trust him. Because we're also told he's good. And yet that can be very, very challenging for us for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes it's challenging because of the circumstances we're in. Paul's not saying here, and by the way, it's all easy. Just remain. It's cool. You're fine. You got it. 
No, he's going to describe some things for us later that will show us that. The the fact is, for us to learn what it means to to walk in this way of of, uh, remaining content in God's wisdom, uh, and recognizing his wisdom in that is is challenging. The great reformer of of ages past, Martin Luther, he, he put it this way. He says, next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. I have not learned it yet. You realize this is the guy that kind of spearheaded the Protestant, he didn't kind of, he did. He spearheaded the Protestant Reformation, right? He was translating the Bible into the common language of the people. He was giving them the scriptures. He was under threat of death. He was a stalwart man of the faith. And yet he's telling us, hey, I, I haven't learned yet. I'm still growing in this. The Apostle Paul talks about that too. He t- tells us in Philippians, I have learned the secret of being content, he says. And that's comforting. Paul had to learn it. That means we need to learn it as well. And, and, and it's important that we, we, we grasp that. But we need to be careful that we're not calling into question God's wisdom, God's goodness, um, because it's very specific. It's an assignment that God's given us. And what does that mean? That means God's put you in this place that you're in right now because he's built you a certain way. He's gifted you a certain way. He's manifested his grace and wisdom in the circumstances around you, and he's put you there. And you might be going, but it's really, really hard. Yes, he does that too. To cause us to grow in our trust of him and to see his, his plan, to grasp things from his vantage point more and more. I think a lot of times this idea of, of uh, the way God's assigned to each one and called each one, it's, it seems kind of like we think of things more along the lines of the way the world does often, right? Which is more like, oh, it just so happened to be this way. This happened, that happened, I ended up here. Which means I'm going to change my circumstances very easily because I just don't feel like doing this anymore. Or, or a lot of times uh, the motive ends up being some sort of self-interested motive most of the time. So I can get more, I can gain more. And, and by the way, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. You know, if you get a promotion at work or, or by God's grace, you, you find yourself getting a raise or whatever it is, those are things to praise God for. That's a beautiful thing. That's not what Paul is describing here in terms of trying to counter. Instead, what he's saying is when you start placing the if only, this circumstance was X, Y, or Z, then... I would be content, joyful. When that happens, that's when we're falling off this principle. And, uh, and so we need to see God is sovereign in his assignments. And so we need to recognize his wisdom in that. Now, sometimes you're not going to see that until later. I, I can tell you there have been many seasons in my life, some very painful seasons, where in the moment, at that time, I was going, what is the point? I didn't see it. Um, We've, Jen and I have cried and prayed together. I've woken up in the middle of the night looking in the mirror going, what are you doing and why? Oh, by the way, I was serving as a pastor. <laughs> yeah. And these were, of course, the years before the Lord brought us up here. But in some ways, I don't think we would be here right now had it not been for that, those seasons and that time. But I couldn't have told you that then. Um, frankly, sometimes up here, it's not all that easy either. I'll just I'll tell you that. It's not. I think for all of us, right? We've all experienced that. It's been a really rough couple of years. 
It's not just the pandemic, and it's not just all the strife. There's all kinds of things happening personally. There are people here that are wrestling with, with illness, and some of these illnesses are, are, are the kinds with, that, that they may not physically make it through. Um, there are challenges. These are deep and hard times. And yet, here, what Paul is saying is, God has, in his wisdom and grace, assigned each one and called each to this place. And so notice, in the manner then, let, let that person walk in light of that. And I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Walk has the idea of a daily life. Excuse me one second. I'm actually prepared today. The walk has the idea of a daily, moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour relationship with God that affects our direction, affects our pace, affects the way that we uh, carry out um, our, 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 our daily life. And so here Paul's saying we need to walk each and every day understanding that where we're at right now is a part of God's calling and God's assignment. And so because God's sovereign in that and wise, we rest in that. And so not only do we need to recognize the fact of of God's wisdom in this, the second thing we need to do also is because of his sovereignty and his assignments, we need to remain in our calling, he says. We find that in verses 20 and verse 24. You'll notice the same verb is used twice. Let each remain in that condition in which they were called. And then in verse 24, the same thing. Let each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And and the word remain really has the idea of staying somewhere or continuing on from that place. And so it's a a beautiful word. I, I feel like today, like, do we not live in a transient culture? Does anybody stay anywhere for very long? I mean, this is one of those words where you're kind of like, wait, remain? You know, I, I wonder about that sometimes, you know. It's sort of like, I am so excited. Why? Well, often it's because I've got a new place or new this or new that or we're going here. And that's great. It's not wrong to be excited about that, okay? But how often do we say, I am so excited. Why? Because I am remaining here in the thick of the battle. I am thrilled. I'm remaining I'm remaining in God's call for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that his you know, sovereign wisdom in, in placing me in this circumstance maybe or at, or at this job or wherever it would be. Why? Because it's part of his sovereign plan because I can glorify him in the daily aspects of life. And not only that, it protects me from kind of this preoccupation with, with, I don't know, the fleeting idea of success or fulfillment or whatever that would be, the things that we chase after. And, and, and here's the thing. Again, Paul's not saying that means in every possible circumstance you have to stay exactly where you are. No, that's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, he said earlier, there were several things he addressed earlier, right? He was talking about uh, prostitution or uh, swindling or thievery or those kinds of things. If that's where a, a person finds themselves and they come to Christ, they're not called to remain, in those things, right? No, the overall flow of the letter says, yeah, it's time to make a change, for sure. But, but, I, but here we, we find that 
the motive for the change, if it comes, is not because of the if only or because we think that circumstance is going gonna, is gonna to satisfy or fulfill or make everything great. No, instead it's because of God's call. And so when we talk about jobs or careers or positions, oftentimes, again, God's mission, call, whatever it would be, doesn't even enter our minds. It's usually just, well, I, I don't know, I, I, I want to do that. And it'll, I'll get more from it, and so I'm going to. And again, nothing wrong with earning more, nothing more wrong that, that with, with moving up some sort of progressive uh, ascension in terms of responsibility or, or in a career. But we need to learn to think about careers, jobs, station, location. We need to start learning to, to think about that in a biblical way. Because oftentimes it's just the secular criteria that, that invades our minds and we don't, we don't really consider these things from a biblical standpoint. And uh, I, li- I like what John Calvin says with this particular section. He says, Paul is not here categorically denying the possibility of changing our circumstances, but is rather seeking to check those impulses uncontrolled by reason which drive many here and there so that they are confused by their constant restlessness. You know, you know that kind of person, right? It's always like, yeah, I wish, no, nah, this isn't okay. I, I, I need to move on. I got to go to the next place, the next thing. I knew someone that was that way with their job. It was interesting. And we would talk, and again, love them, great, great person. But um, essentially, it was sort of like this first two weeks of the job, love it. What's my boss like? Oh, he's just great. They're the best ever. And the company, the philosophy of the company is so cool. You know, it's doing this, doing that. And then like, you know, four weeks later or so, it's like, yeah, I don't know. And then another month later, it's like, Man, this company stinks. I got to get out of here. And then they go to the next one. And I almost kind of, you know, got to the point of like, so, how do you like the new job? Oh, it's great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. A few weeks later, sure enough, oh, yeah, the boss did this, that, and the other. And it's just one thing. And, and, and what's sad is if a, if it's one thing for someone who doesn't know the Lord to do that. That's sad still for them. But for a believer to live that way, it shows that our perspective, our mind is just not seeing things clearly from God's vantage point. And so that constant restlessness, that's the, that's the thought to ask. Is that what's driving me? And um, why? Because here it's, let each one remain in the condition they were called. Why, what is that? The general principle would be, wherever you were when God saved you, barring those other things that he's already described in the letter or something immoral or something along those lines, wherever you were, you're not going to be any more spiritual by changing the circumstance. So don't. And, and wherever we are right now, as believers, we're not going to become more spiritual by changing the circumstance. So don't be preoccupied with that. Now, again, maybe a good question to ask at this point in time would be, how do we know if we're acting on kind of this restlessness that, that Calvin's referring to or whether we're following God's leading? And that's a big topic. And we've talked about this a little bit many years ago. Um, but... When we think of God's leading in our decision-making, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of times um, we, we utilize a, a kind of a, a simplified and, and not accurate kind of matrix for this. So I've often heard the, the phrase, the open door. So if the door is open, the equation is simply this. Open door equals God's leading. That's it. That's how you know. 
But the thing about it is, the Bible has a lot more to say than just that. I mean, there, there are, let's face it, there are, it, the concept of the open door is good, by the way. You know, um, Paul describes that as he's, as he's writing to the churches, and he says, you know, an open door for us. We, we have an open door for the, for the word, that's what he says, right? So there is, that's the idea. God's open for us a door to the word. You know what I find fascinating, too, is the next phrase that he says, and there's much opposition, <laughs> I think for us, we'd be like, oh, the opposition, that must be a closed door. Eh, forget that, you know? Obviously, that's not it. No, if, if, if you're being led by God, and there's an open door, and you have opposition, guess what? That could be a great indicator that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. So, brothers and sisters, take heart in that. But again, the open door equals God's leading. That's the equation for many. I don't think that's biblical wisdom. Uh, instead... Um, what we would see is you've got the open door and add to that biblical wisdom and that is going to equal God's leading. But then, of course, the question is, well, what's biblical wisdom? What does that include? Well, there's a lot of nuances to that, really. There's several things that we find in there. Uh, one would just be wise counsel. You know, Proverbs 15 says that. With abundance of counselors, you're going to make a wise choice. So talk to people in Jesus, brothers and sisters who know the Lord of wisdom. Get feedback. Try to understand it. Another element would be our mission. What's God called you to? What, what is he doing with your life? What, what are you doing? How are you carrying out his will? How are you serving him? He's given you gifts, and you're called to use them. I mean, again, the last thing you want to do is stand before him on the day of judgment, and he says, okay, I gave you these gifts. What did you do with them? And you're going to go, well, I, I just wasn't really feeling it, Lord. I don't know. You, know, that, you don't want to go there. You want to be able to declare, hey, You've given me these gifts, Lord, and by, by your grace and by your empowerment, I did everything I could to serve you and others with them. I found ways to do that. Uh, I think you can ask questions about your family and caring for them if you have one. Um, you know, how, how do I best nurture them? There's fellowship. That's an important part of God's plan for you. There's your church. Um, if you're moving away, the first thing you should be looking at before anything is, is there a gospel church in that area that you can be a part of? That should be the first question you're asking. And if that's not being asked, then you're essentially setting yourself up uh, for, for being just sort of dried out and, and, and withering spiritually. Stewardship, that can be an important criteria. The Bible talks a lot about that. Uh, we need to make sure that with the resources God's entrusted to us, we do the very best things with them. Um, he's called us to, to do that so that we can glorify him, so that we can be generous, so we can care for, for our families. Um, there's our desires and our motives before God. I think this passage is certainly touching on that. You know, you're asking the why. Why am I doing this? Why am I making this change? Why am I deciding this? Whether it's to move, move or whether it's to change jobs or, or whether it's another you know, big decision like that. And then what we would find from this passage in particular, you want to take into account as well, God's wise appointment. In other words, recognize, just because I'm considering moving, just because I'm looking at those things, and I've got these biblical wisdom principles in mind, I need to recognize the fact that where I'm at right now is not God's mistake. And I want to know that I'm serving him. And I want to know that I'm carrying out his desires for me here. Instead of just kind of going, well, obviously this isn't what God wants because I want that. <laughs> we want to be careful in that way. 
Because God has sovereignly assigned our place in life that we should walk with him in it. And we need to hold on to that. Now, Paul goes on from here. You know, because God reigns sovereign in his assignments, we've seen we need to recognize his wisdom and we need to remain in our calling. But lastly, we need to also walk with him in it and through it. And to bring this out, Paul uses two illustrations from some really, really tough issues in, in first century life. The first one was circumcision and the next one was slavery. You got to love how Paul doesn't back away from the issue. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't just go, okay, I got to talk to them about what this looks like to remain and to walk. Okay, so I'm going to pick something really, really easy. He, instead, he goes, okay, what are some of the pressing things for the church at that time? And he dives headfirst right into them. What was the big deal about circumcision? Well, it was the Old Testament sign of the covenant. It was a big deal. And at the time, uh, there were actually different false teachers going through the church saying, well, if you're a Christian, you're saved by grace, but you're kept by the law. So no matter what background you're from, you need to be circumcised as a sign of, of this new relationship you have with Christ. And so Paul wrote against that very, very forcefully in Galatians. I would recommend that you, uh, <clears throat> that you look at that and read it. But this was a huge source of conflict because it actually had a lot to do with the different ethnicities that were present in the first century church. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And, and so as a result of that, um, there was a lot of conflict. And so what's Paul saying? Paul says here in verses 18 and 19, hey, if you were called while circumcised, don't become uncircumcised. And if you're called... Well, uncircumcised, don't be circumcised. Now, of course, the first question is, what is he talking about, about becoming uncircumcised? You know, how does that work? That figure of speech, you know, what's he saying? And um, actually, for those who were Jewish, um, if they were in a, in a situation of business relationships within the community, and if they were trying to... Uh, if they were trying to maintain business relationships or other things, they would go into different social places to, to network, you know. Um, they would go into those places. Um, well, you know, sometimes that would include things like the gymnasium. And in the gymnasium or in the public baths, that would be visible. And so there was actually a surgical procedure in the first century whereby a Jewish person could have something done to mask or make it seem as though they were not circumcised. And so what were they trying to do? They're trying to fit in with the Greeks. They're trying to fit in with the, the culture around them, the Hellenistic Jews. And so they're, they're, they're doing these things. So what Paul's saying is, Psh, don't do that. You don't need to do that. It doesn't matter. And then on the flip side, again, for the, those who are legalistically insisting on circumcision, uh, the, he's saying to them, look, that is not the point. That is not the issue. Uh, it doesn't matter where someone's at on that uh, ritual from the old covenant. And, and you've got to love what he says in verse 19. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. You might go, well, wait a minute, wasn't that a commandment? Yeah, that's his whole point. He's addressing both sides with one statement. For the legalist over here who's saying, you've got to be circumcised or you're not really following Jesus, he's saying, don't worry about that. Consider God's commandments instead. And they're going to be going, what? Well, I thought that was a command. No, nah, it's not. 
That was for that time. We're under the gospel now. This is a new covenant. Christ has fulfilled all the law. And so he addresses them. On the flip side, for the licentious who are trying to say, hey, we can live however we want. He's been addressing those in the previous chapters. He's saying, look, don't be caught up in the external manifestation of religiosity and whatever else. You need to keep God's commandments. And Jesus has clarified what that is, of course. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus summarized all of it in those two phrases. So is it a call to legalism? Of course not. No way. Is it a call to just not caring about God's commands? No. Paul, in one phrase, is addressing both of those issues at the same time. And so he says, circumcision isn't anything. So uh, because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, uh, he's actually inaugurated a new creation. And so when you've come to Christ, old things have passed away, new things have come. You are made new, regardless of, of any of those ritual trappings. He's also saying ethnicity is not relevant at all when it comes to knowing who is accepted by God or isn't. And, and that, to them, that was a big deal. Paul uses this illustration and just goes straight into it and says, hey, all of you who are arguing about this thing, it is not the issue. Neither makes you more spiritual. Keep God's commands, walk with him, serve him. The second illustration that Paul gives of walking with God in all circumstances is the issue of slavery. And we find that in verses 21 through 23. Now, let's put ourselves in their context for a moment. Archaeological evidence would show us that approximately 50% of the population in ancient Corinth were slaves. Half the people there were slaves. And that affected everyday life. And uh, within the Roman institution of slavery, a bond servant and the idea of a slave is is a lot different than what we're familiar with from our history here in North America. Uh, Slaves could work to pay off and save enough money for their freedom. And, And there were actually some ways in which some slaves were highly trained and very prominent in society, depending on whose household they worked for. Uh, doctors of that time often were slaves. Um, sometimes the stewards of great, great kind of households were slaves, and they had a lot of weight depending on who uh, was their master. And then, of course, there were also all kinds of very degrading types of slavery. There are some things uh, that, that happened, uh, especially in the area of, of human trafficking, sexuality, even regarding children. I won't even mention those things. That was commonplace in first century Corinth. It was normal. So all of that is kind of wrapped up in this, in this same thing that, you know, obviously from, from the vantage point of God, human trafficking and, and slavery has always been and always will be a heinous sin. Um, the evil of slavery, we see that all the way back, really, in, in the book of Exodus, right? When God's people, they were what? Slaves in Egypt. And God freed them. And so that's why Paul has this qualifier here. Where you call the slave, he says, don't worry about it. By the way, he's not saying there, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. That's not what he means. He's saying, don't be preoccupied and anxious about your life in Jesus if you're a slave and you've come to Christ. Don't let that concern you. And then he says, but if you're able to become free, rather do that. That's better. That's a qualifier there. He's saying, don't, don't remain. If you can become free, please do. And, and oftentimes they would. Uh, what would happen is that when they were paid a certain amount for their, their labor each month, 
they could take a portion of that and bring it to some sort of temple. Didn't matter what god it was. You know, obviously in Rome, there was all kinds of gods. Polytheism ran rampant. And so it didn't matter what god it was, but the slave could go and, and take a portion of what they'd earned and, and deposit it there with the priest at whatever temple it was. And over time, they would be able to save up the purchase price, their own purchase price. And then when that amount was saved up, they would then bring their master to that pagan temple and the priest then would take that sum and receive it. And in essence, that slave then became the slave of whatever god that was rather than the, man, rather than the master. So the, the, the master would receive that payment and the idea would be, okay, now this one belongs to whatever deity we're going to be worshiping this day. And then that person was free. Now, oftentimes, the slave would actually go back to the master's house and still work there. Uh, there would be times when, when the, they would even adopt the family name of their former master, who is now their, now their patron. But, but all this to say, you know, Paul, Paul is using that picture here in this passage. Um, and he does several things with it. Verse 22, if you've been called to the Lord while a slave, realize this, you're already free in the Lord. That's why I'm saying don't worry about it. You are free. Live that way. And likewise, if you've been called while free, notice this, you're Christ's slave. So now you've got all that kind of cultural baggage and structure and oppression and everything else is now all in Jesus. It's just been reversed and flattened. Uh, one great book to look at on this topic would be Philemon. I would encourage you to read that as well. Uh, there are several amazing principles there about how Paul deals with this issue and how the gospel affects this issue uh, and really how, how the, even the abolitionist movement in our own country was spearheaded by and fueled by believers understanding the text of scripture and the gospel and applying that to that perverted and twisted part of our culture. So, um, so he's saying here, uh, whether free or, or slave, you're both in Christ. And you are free in Christ, and you are both enslaved by Christ. You are his bondservant. And then he says, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Don't become slaves of men. And uh, that there is that very same picture of, of the slave who would go to the temple to purchase their own freedom. What he's saying is, you don't have to go to a pagan temple. You don't have to take part of your earnings and save it up to purchase your freedom because Jesus has already made that payment for you. You've been set free in him. And then he goes on to say, brethren, each one is to remain in that condition in which he was called. And, and here's where this is a hard statement. Now, you, you can think, okay, well, great. Good for them. So now they all can just remain where they are. Well, yeah, well, what if you were a slave? How would that feel? That would be hard. I mean, you might have been one of the prominent ones in the culture. Maybe it's less difficult. But again, 50% of the population is suffering under that. That would be hard. And I think, I think that's, again, where we come to Paul dealing with this in a way that's bringing us into a, a place of, look, this is not simply God saying, I'm the one who's appointed your place, and it's wonderful in terms of how you feel every moment. No, God calls us to hard places sometimes. Um, I was recently visiting with a, 
a really dear friend, old friend of mine, and he's just uh, just come through a, a massive uh, battle with cancer, and praise God, he's cancer-free right now, so we're grateful for that. But this was the kind of treatment that was super aggressive. He spent time um, at Stanford in isolation. They basically had to um, take a sample of his bone marrow. It was blood cancer, and they had to eradicate uh, most of, of what his body could do to produce blood, and then they replaced it with healthy stuff. And uh, he couldn't even be around other people for a long period of time. He was isolated. And uh, we were just walking through his neighborhood and talking. And uh, I was like, man, how, you know, how are you doing in the thick of it? I know that was really, especially during the height of your treatment, you know, what was that like? And he, he said, you know, my mind, I, I, just, I kept going to, you know, what if I don't get to see my daughter married? What if I never meet my grandkids? What if I have to leave my wife alone to fend for herself? And uh, he said he was, he was talking um, to his sister who had also just gone through a major cancer battle, who also loves the Lord. And she said to him, hey, you got to take those what ifs, look to God, and change them to even ifs. Even if those things happen, and and this is him talking to me, he's saying, even if I will praise God, I will follow God, I will honor God. And that was super inspiring because I remember the day he came to Jesus. And to know that he is certainly walking with him. But again, that's God's power and wisdom. And he would be the first to tell you, God is the one who appointed that for him to accomplish good things in him and through him and in his life. God takes him and takes all of us places like that to accomplish things that we could never do on our own. But it's not easy. And I think oftentimes where we end up missing out on what God's doing is when we assume if this was God's will, plan, etc., then it would be everything that we would desire in that moment. But God's plans are better than ours. No, we've been bought with a price. Earlier, you'll remember Paul said, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. Here, Paul is saying, you've been bought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. What does he mean by that? Well, think about this. If the, Christ, if the Corinthian Christians had caved in to the pressures of the human sources of fulfillment, happiness, and all the change that they could do in circumstances to find that and secure that in their lives, if they had done that, you know what would happen? They'd become slaves of men. Because they'd be clamoring after all the things that the culture says you have to have, that you've got to get. Uh, Once upon a time, 
and this is a story I've heard, I think it's a good one. Once upon a time, there was a, a stonecutter who, who lived all alone, and, and though he had acquired great skills, he was very poor, and he lived in a tiny bamboo hut, and he wore tattered clothing. And one day, as the stonecutter worked with his hammer and chisel on a huge stone, he heard a, a crowd gathering in the streets. He's like, what's going on? And so he looks up, and he can see that there was a king coming to visit this particular city. And so as the king was coming through, and as everyone joined in the procession, and the stonecutter could see the king was dressed in silk, and he was greeted by his subjects, and he was loved. And, and so the stonecutter goes, you know, I wish I had the power and glory of the king. He has soldiers at his command. There is no one more powerful than the king. And so his cry was heard, and somehow immediately the humble stonecutter was transformed into a powerful king. And he found himself riding a great horse and waving at crowds of people who had flocked to see him. And he thought, this is power. This is power. And then the summer progressed, and, and, and the new king watched the effects of the heat on his people, and men and animals became weary, plants withered under the powerful rays of the sun. And he looked at the sky, and this new king realized that the sun was more powerful than any earthly ruler. And so he said, I wish I were as powerful as that. I wish I were the sun. And immediately his wish was granted. And the stone code relished in his new role as the sun, and he gloried in the power that he felt as he surveyed the kingdoms below. And as he sent his bright rays to the earth, he watched kings and princes hide under their parasols. He watched powerful warriors become weak under his gaze. Even the crops in the field were under his command. And then one day, a tiny cloud moved over the land, shielding the earth from the sun's rays. And seeing that there was something more powerful, he thought, oh, I very much want to be a cloud. And so again, his wish was granted. And so he blocked the sun's rays, and he felt important, and he gathered all his strength, becoming a gigantic cloud, and he began to pour down rain on the earth, and rivers formed where there previously were no rivers, and water flooded the streets of the cities and the farmland, and everything, trees, animals, people, seemed to be awed by his power. Only the massive rocks were unswayed. There's nothing, he thought, more powerful than a rock. I wish I were a huge stone. Boom, his wish was granted. As a stone, he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by the sun, wind, or rain. He felt exempt from all the forces that shaped the existence of those around him. And then one day, a man approached, carrying a bag. When he stopped, he pulled out a chisel and a hammer and began to chip away at the rock. Realizing the man with the tools was more powerful than any rock, he cried out, Oh, I want to be a stonecutter. And once again, he became a stonecutter, and he lived in a bamboo hut. And he made his living with a hammer and a chisel. And he was content. It's a children's story. But I think it's helpful. Because our tendency is to believe if only my circumstances were different, then my life would be wonderful. But here is the astounding truth. God has sovereignly in his divine wisdom and love arranged our circumstances. Joy and contentedness is found as we recognize this, remain in our calling, and walk with him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you again would bring to heart these truths. We thank you for your wisdom and your grace and your sovereignty. Help us to see things from your vantage point. Grace us, Lord, to, to remain in the condition that we were called. Help us to learn to recognize 
your, your might and wisdom. And grace us, Lord, with growing contentedness because of your power and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.